This song you're listening to is called Some Little Bug Is Going To Find You, and it came out in 1915. There are germs of every kind in any food that you can find. At a time when the public was worried about germs and microscopic bugs that cause sickness. Drinking water's just as risky as the so-called deadly whiskey. Those fears were not unfounded, as the Spanish flu would decimate the world just a few years later. Some little bug is going to find you someday. So, the things we're dealing with now, in 2020? Quarantines, social distancing, terrible DIY haircuts, is something our great-great-grandparents dealt with a hundred years ago. And it would be easier to lose touch with the past, if not for some of their generation's inventions, such as the ability to record and playback sound. Thanks to that, the writer and performer of the song, Roy Atwell, was able to capture the feeling of society at that time and make it permanent. We're able to listen to it today because it was pressed onto a record, a format that has managed to live on and stay relevant for over a century. Some little bug is going to find you someday. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we dive deep into unique stories and aspects of American history and culture that are often overlooked. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the Reconnecting Roots TV series, airing on a PBS station near you, or available to watch on ReconnectingRoots.com. And if you're new to Reconnecting Roots, we're all about framing the future through the past. Kind of like that old proverb, there's nothing new under the sun, many of the things we see and experience today have roots that go back to when our ancestors were alive. What we'd like to do is uncover those roots and see how they're relevant today, to see what we've lost that we can reconnect to, or look at what's improved across generations. And today, we're looking at the importance and history of vinyl records. We'll chat with Steve Young, a former comedy writer for David Letterman, who stars in the award-winning documentary Bathtubs Over Broadway, directed by David Wisenant. Then I started finding these souvenirs from these corporate events that were musicals, and I just thought, I never in a million years would have guessed that such a thing could have existed. Bill Skibby, the head audio and mastering engineer at Third Man Records, gives some insight as to why vinyl got popular again. Maybe a lot of people realize that it wasn't as much fun as having a commodity in your hand, something that you can look at and hold and feel three-dimensionally. We'll also hear from Jack Conti, CEO of Patreon and one half of the band Pomplamoose. And then the web came around, and in 10 years, all that infrastructure evaporated. You know, it's kind of crazy to me that vinyl as a format has lasted so long. We've seen so many different formats come and go, like eight tracks, tapes, and now even CDs have really gone down in popularity. I've seen people use them as literal coasters because they become so cheap and disposable. These formats still exist, obviously, but vinyl cells have grown every year for the past decade. So clearly, more people are buying it. And what I love about vinyl is how I can take a record from 100 years ago, like the one we just heard, and still play it now. Records that belong to my grandparents or even great-grandparents. 
So it's more than just music. It's a way for us to reconnect to our past, to connect to our ancestors, and share in the culture they grew up with. Constructed to perfection and responsibly built for the long haul, Taylor Stitch has taken over 10 years of feedback and is doubling down on their commitment to building the best possible clothing while pledging to limit their environmental impact. From fiber to fabric to factory to end to functionality, Taylor Stitch has grown from a need for products without limitations that could handle chopping wood, surf sessions, snagging trout, or simply heading to the office. On top of making the world's best apparel, they're asking questions about how they can protect wild forever. And as a Reconnecting Roots listener, use the code ReconnectingRoots. That's Reconnecting Roots, all one word, for 25% off all products, one use per customer. That offer is valid through July 2021. Taylor Stitch makes some outstanding clothing. How do I know? Because I wear it. I have some. And without a doubt, every time I'm sporting a jacket, a shirt, I get compliments. It looks good on me, so I know it'll look great on you. Taylor Stitch. Knock, knock, who's there? It's Middletown. I wake up every morning to two things. One, my lovely bride, and two, a cup of Town coffee. It's just good, for goodness sake. Steep, sip, enjoy. Making good coffee has never been easier than with Town coffee's new steeped packs. And whether you're rushing to get kids out the door, traveling abroad, or out hiking the trails. Mule Town Steep Packs are easy to carry, easy to brew, and ready wherever you are. Just add hot water. Visit MuleTownCoffee.com to order Steep Packs today. And as always, have a good one from everyone at Mule Town Coffee. Now through July 31st, 2021, customers will get 20% off Steeped Packs when they use coupon code STEEPITUP. S-T-E-E-P-I-T-U-P. All one word, steep it up. And if you're wondering out there, is it really that easy? Can I really just go to a website, say I want coffee, and it'll be delivered to my door just whenever I run out? Yeah, it is. I know because I've done it. Mule Town Coffee. Good for goodness sake. Reconnecting Roots has some new friends we can't seem to shake. I mean, you know those guys. They crash on your couch, drink all your booze, and clutter the sink with leftover bowls of ramen. Earl and Craig host a PBS show called The Good Road with a companion podcast called Philanthropology. That's right, Philanthropology. They travel a ton around the world and seek out cool people who are change makers and tell their stories. Check them out at thegoodroad.tv where you can jump to their podcast and info about the show. But I will warn you, if you connect with them, they will ask if they can crash on your couch. They've done it to me. Earl and Craig really have become good friends of ours. They're such fun people with great hearts, and their TV show, The Good Road, and Philanthropology, the podcast, are worth checking out. Their show's about people doing good. We could all stand to see and hear about more of that. The Good Road with Craig and Earl. Check them out. So I've gotten pretty lucky. I actually have two phonographs in my house, one from each side of my grandparents, from my mom's side and my dad's side. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool that I can take these old clay discs, or I think they're made out of shellac. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's no electricity, 
And through magic, this little metal needle just rubs against these vibrations and it goes through this metal pipe that's curved and then into the horn, which is, you know, used to be on top, but the ones I have are more furniture pieces, right? So it, it curves down below and almost makes like a little speaker front and you can kind of adjust the volume with a little thing on the side. But that was the one thing that I wanted from my one grandmother's house, you know, because I'd love just going there and, you know, of course I wanted to play with it, but she was like, hey, you better let me... Yeah, yeah, she texted. She took really good care of it. it. Yeah, she knew what I would do. Just crank <laughs> that thing up, which is what my son wants to do now, right? He goes over there, he wants to mess with it. I'm like, eh, so like let me yeah. help you, because he just wants to crank and crank on the thing, because it's it's fun, you know, and it and yeah, it's it, interactive, it, right? It make it does something, right? You wind mm-hmm. this up, it kind of tightens the spring, and you let it go, the disc spins, and music happens. So how do those, how do those records sound now? Like, have you listened to them lately? Yeah, every once in a while I'll try and spin one up and see if I can get it to work. I mean, you know, it's about like a vinyl, just like far more crude, you know, far worse. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more just static and pops and cracks, and and you can kind of hear the the scrape of the needle. So there's the, this always this this my favorite you know, sound <laughs> that's happening. You know, underneath the music, right? Um, yeah. Because it's, it's not quite as uh, smooth as like a, a nice vinyl with a little diamond stylus or whatever. I mean, this is just a piece of metal on top of this hard... Yeah, it's like Flintstone style. Right? It's basically that. I might as well just be using a bird beak. To understand why the vinyl resurgence is worth talking about today, let's first take a look at how we even got here. Even though records have been around for more than a century, there's still a fairly young method of recording music. Before then, we had sheet music, which goes back to 2000 BC. That's 16 times longer than America's even been a country. Yes, we measure time in Americas on this podcast. Things like player pianos and music boxes would play pre-recorded music, but it was only the notes that were pre-selected, so each performance was essentially live. The first step towards recording music onto media was with the phonograph in 1857, which wasn't even designed to play back any of the sound. Thanks to modern tech, however, we can listen to what they captured, like this, the earliest sound recordings currently available. not the catchiest record I've ever heard, but still pretty cool to listen to. The next phase of recording mediums came when Thomas Edison had a light bulb moment and created the phonograph cylinder, which could actually play back sound. It caught on, and the process of making and selling these cylinders in stores created the record market we know today. Edison himself decided what types of music and singers will be put on his cylinders, which is kind of like a papermaking company deciding which books can be published. He vetoed a lot of that era's popular music, and he didn't put the artists' names on the record labels for years because he thought the audience cared more about sound quality than the song creators. So yeah, Thomas Edison wasn't just a pioneer with technology, he also pioneered the stereotype of a hard-nosed record producer. 
Then along came gramophone records, which are flat discs that look like the vinyl ones we know today, but made from shellac. It started a format war with Edison cylinders and won, and then hit the mainstream with some hit songs selling over a million copies at a time when there were only 79 million Americans. By the 1940s, record companies ditched the fragile shellac material and instead used polyvinyl. And thus, the term vinyl was used and has stuck around ever since. And speaking of vinyl, we have a Reconnecting Roots album coming out. For season two, Firekid, along with our music supervisor, Mandy McCauley, reimagined classic songs that relate to the topics on our TV series and gave them a fresh and modern twist. These songs wouldn't be as well-known or accessible if they weren't able to be recorded and pressed up in the first place. So today we have with us Mandy McCauley. Mandy, can you tell us about the process of finding the perfect songs for the Reconnecting Roots album? Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you for having me. That's what they say on all the podcasts. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You're very welcome. So public domain, what's that? Public domain songs are over a certain age that are now free to use that you can record without having to pay to use them. And they can be songs that are so old that you don't even know the origin of them, like Wayfaring Stranger. Thanks to the magic of the internet, it's become a lot easier to look through the public domain catalogs and find out what is there to use now. And when you are dealing with certain subjects, sometimes you already know a song before you even start researching. For example, um, when we did the Irish episode, it was rather easy to just pick Danny Boy because it is probably the most iconic Irish American song there is. Why did you guys choose to press these songs onto a vinyl? Why not just release these songs into the digital realm? That's a great question. Thank you for asking that, Gabriel. I could just tell you it's cooler, but that's a taste thing. Our ears and brains are trained to hear analog and feel like it's more comforting. It is more natural to our senses. And, there, and there's science behind this. You're not just making stuff up. Well, I am making things up, but I've also looked on the internet as well, which is the way we learn now. So it has to be true. But also, I mean, you and I have discussed this idea that, you know, the ear fatigue, literally our brains are having to decode or decompress something that's a digital file. We're filling in the gaps between these, these blocks whereas analog is a true waveform. Why is it that our, it just feels different? It just sounds different to us as humans. There's, no matter how close we get, there seems to be something that's still just more authentic and natural about vinyl. Don't ever ask me to be an expert on anything. Okay, well, thanks for being on the show, Mandy. This was great. Do you want to thank me again for being here? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Vinyl was the dominant format of music throughout the mid-20th century and had one of its peak sales years in 1978 with more than $2.5 billion worth of records sold. Turns out, people were buying other things besides leisure suits at that time. On top of that, it led to the birth of new forms of music, like hip-hop. When DJ Cole Herc decided to play instrumental breaks at parties while his friend Coke LaRock hopped on the mic and freestyled to it. 
Soon, people like the Sugar Hill Gang were pressing up their own records. Not to mention, the art of DJing expanded into its own industry, with many DJs becoming celebrities themselves. Now Gabe, I heard you like to rap sometimes, is that true? Hip hop, a hip to the hop, to the hip hop hop, and you don't stop the boogie when you reach that boogie, and that's a boogie, and the reconnect the roots, and that, that's a boogie. A reconnect the roots is a boogie that you could do if you like to boogie. Reconnect, reconnect your roots. You should like some reconnecting roots. Let me tell you who else likes roots. The Bob Burton, he was in roots, and I bet he watches our show. He's on PBS, I like him. He probably likes our show. He should reconnect. That's what you should watch, just like Bar Burton. But don't take my word for it. Uh, okay. Vinyl's dominance wouldn't last forever, though. Once cassette tapes hit the market and took over, record sales started falling in 1982, and only got worse when CDs came along. At the start of the 90s, vinyl sales numbers were just a drop in the ocean compared to other formats, and remained low for the rest of that decade and most of the 2000s. For the majority of people during that time, vinyl seemed like a novelty, the sort of thing you discover in your parents' attic or skip over at garage sales. Some new albums were still being pressed to vinyl, but took a lot more effort to find since most big box stores got rid of them completely. The music sales market wasn't done evolving, though. Online stores like Apple's wildly popular iTunes made it easy for listeners to download only the songs they want. Starting in 2004, digital sales pulled away huge chunks of business from the CD market and grew year by year. And this completely changed how the music industry operated. Jack Conti, a musician from the band Pomplamoose, who has also founded Patreon, told me just how disruptive this digital shift was for record companies. And for the first time, humans were able to store their art on a physical object, yeah. which is pretty freaking groundbreaking. Yeah. And pretty awesome that like the artist doesn't need to be there for a person to experience their art. Dans tes grands yeux noirs, je me suis perdu. J'attends un regard, le cœur suspendu. And then the following 100 years, you know, the, the entire 1900s uh, were just people building so much infrastructure around the distribution of that physical object with a person's art. Figured out how to put the art on a thing. Now, Okay, how do we ship that thing to Tokyo? And where do we store that thing once it gets to Tokyo? And how do we build a wonderful consumer experience around that with shelves? And what does that packaging look like? And there's, you know, trucking and retail and distribution and marketing companies, literally billions of dollars of infrastructure devoted to getting your art that's on a physical thing from the person who made the art to the person who wants yeah. to enjoy the art. And then the web came around and in 10 years, all that infrastructure evaporated. Even as physical album sales dwindled, thanks to new digital formats, vinyl never truly went away. It remained in the background, 
filling up used bins at record stores, turning those sections into cultural time capsules. As long as those records remain intact and available, huge parts of our history were spared from being completely forgotten, while also being ripe for rediscovery. Well, like, for instance, musicals being created by corporations to show off their fancy products and get their salespeople hyped. Shh. Your attention, please. Settle back and listen. Let's reduce the din. Your A.B. Dick Company pacemaker sales meeting about to begin. So I discovered the world of industrial musicals uh, very much by accident by working at the Letterman Show when I was hired about 30 years ago. That's Steve Young, whose blossoming interest in this unique world of musicals was chronicled in the Bathtubs Over Broadway documentary. My first day of work, I was given an office uh, that had boxes of record albums in it, Dave's record collection. And this was a bit that had been running on and off for several years. Real, unintentionally funny record albums Dave would hold up on the show. We'd hear a sample of the actual audio of whatever, and he would have a quip. And the head writer said, well, maybe you can be the Dave's record collection guy now. I had to go and find the raw material. Then I started finding these souvenirs from these corporate events that were musicals, and I just thought... I never in a million years would have guessed that such a thing could have existed. 22 slices of bread, a crust on either hand. How and why are they so good? Because I couldn't get some of these songs out of my head. I'm walking around New York City singing about selling and servicing diesel engines. Detroit's diesel men, they got both. They got diesel gasoline. This secret showbiz world turned out to be so enormous and populated by so many top-level people. It was uh, decades long and extraordinarily well-funded and uh, A-list people that you've heard of and others you haven't heard of were all uh, going back and forth between legitimate Broadway and this shadow world for the corporation. If you had to recommend one of these industrial musicals, which one should we go for? The Bathrooms Are Coming is probably the primo example. My bathroom, my bathroom is a private kind of place, very special kind of place. American Standard Bathroom Fixture Musical from 1969, which is a, a, a crucial part of the documentary. That is kind of the uh, gateway drug of the genre, I call it, because people cannot believe there's such well-polished, catchy song material about bathroom fixtures that were presented with a straight face to plumbing fixture distributors. And the album looks crazy and it sounds great. Covered yet. New methods not discovered yet. Silicons, You feel that things are not too good beneath the automotive hood. Silicon. Would you think this could happen today? 
in the Spotify age, in the digital age, what would it have been like for you on the Dave Letterman show to be on sitting on a laptop saying, oh, I'm going to look for crazy songs? The analog world versus the digital world. I mean, there's lots of ways to think about that. But one factor of this is these records were pressed privately as souvenirs for people within the company who'd been to these shows. And so some cases there were maybe a couple thousand pressed, but definitely in some cases where there's like one known copy in the world, they must have only pressed like 200 copies and given them out to the uh, steam table salesman who went to the Wisconsin convention or something. And so you think this came so close to just falling into the abyss forever. Like I'll tell somebody, oh, I have this unbelievable Ham's beer sales meeting film from 1970 that was animated by Hanna-Barbera. And, and then somebody will say, well, that can't be true. I looked on YouTube. It's not there. And they, they just <laughs> assume that if it exists, it must be easily findable in the digital realm. And this is a good reminder that so much is way subterranean and is not going to come out without a great deal of detective work. So tell us a little bit more about what's happening with bathtubs over Broadway. Now there's an album, but yes, there's a beautiful soundtrack. Uh, it was released digitally last summer, 32 tracks, uh, some of the original songs and score pieces, plus a couple dozen vintage industrial show tunes. And now it is a gorgeous two record set on Mondo with a, 12-page booklet and liner notes and photos. And it is uh, so sweet because it all started with me finding these misbegotten vinyl records that everyone else had decided were worthless. And now a quarter of a century later, we get to the vinyl release of the soundtrack. And it just feels like it's come full circle in a very nice way. That's very cool. Yeah, so now someone will be leafing through vinyl bins Someday, find this record. They'll discover uh, what you once discovered. The adventure continues. Even though digital sales of songs exploded in the mid-2000s, a funny thing happened in 2007. Out of nowhere, vinyl sales started going up. It was just a little, but enough to raise some eyebrows. The following year, sales nearly doubled, then went up again in 2009 and continued rising every single year after that. In 2019, revenues from record sales were higher than CDs for the first time since 1986. Record companies scrambled to fill demand, and vinyl pressing plants suddenly became overwhelmed. Hoarders who never got rid of their turntables rejoiced. What's fascinating is that even after music streaming services hit America in the 2010s, vinyl sales kept rising, which raises the question, if you can listen to anything with just a tap of a finger and an internet connection, why did people start buying vinyl again? You know, I've been wondering that exact same thing. Because we had Napster and everything went free. All music went free and stolen for a little while there and people compiled massive hard drives full of digital songs and, and then realized 
maybe they realized, or maybe a lot of people realized that it wasn't as much fun, A, just having it and listening to it, as having a commodity in your hand, something that you can look at and hold and feel three-dimensionally. That's Bill Skibby. And he would know a lot about vinyl because he actually helps create it. I'm the head, head audio uh, engineer, mastering engineer at Third Man and cutting engineer. And you've been doing that for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I realized the other day that I've been in the studio since 1995. The vinyl side of things started for me about five years ago. Yeah, so why, why vinyl in particular? Why the explosion of vinyl and vinyl sales versus, like you were saying, they still want to experience, well, a CD, that's tactile, you can own it, you can resell it, uh, cassettes, you know. What is it about vinyl? Sounds better. It just sounds better. I mean, I think it, the sound quality of vinyl isn't as... I'm, I'm going to say it. It's not as hi-fi as, as digital in the broad sense, in the actual like specs of it, because you're having to do things to the audio to get it to fit on the record. There's something magical about it every single time. You can take a digital file ripped off YouTube and cut it, and it sounds better. Why? I, I would, maybe I said this before too, but I think that it's, it's just asymmetry. It's asymmetry in the noise floor, in the way that the distortion happens, in the left and right balance, and the, there's, there's pops and ticks going off in an asymmetrical fashion, and that mimics real life. When you walk outside in the summer, and you hear bugs and birds and wind rustling in, in the leaves, it's all asymmetrical background noise and it feels energized. More human. More yeah. human, yeah. It's more human to ground you back. As we go further and further virtual, right. we need things to anchor us in the three-dimensional world, you know? You want to feel things. You want to. You want that deep experience. I had to make a CD today for a band, and I burned it on one of these uh, CDs that looks like a record, you know, and I came <laughs> out and put it in my car, and then I quickly threw it down into the bin in the in the door and there it's gonna sit. And that's what you think of a CD. It's disposable, it's tiny, it's plasticky, it's, it doesn't, doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't weigh anything. And it's, a, it's all about experience. So as far as demographics, uh -huh. who do you think's buying vinyl? Like where did this research come from? Do you think it was, you know, those that were used to it growing up in the 60s and 70s? Are those the people that are like, finally, I can get my record collection back out again? Or is it a new generation? I mean, it's, I think it's both. It's definitely yeah. everybody. Because I see a lot of people at the store in, in Detroit coming in. It's, everybody's coming in and buying records. But kids are buying records. I have a niece who's 13, and she's been buying vinyl. She bought, What she got for her birthday was a turntable, and she bought a whole bunch of records. And, you know, there's a, there, there's a local record store here in town. He's doing well. People are coming in. Kids go in there all the time and buy stuff. So, You know, an interesting thing I found out is that apparently nearly half of all current record buyers are under the age of 25. That's certainly a lot more than I would have guessed. So as, as long as new generations want to keep buying vinyl, I feel like the market should stay in good shape, right? Do you see the trajectory just continuing to rise? Like, is it is it really, and is it going to hold for a while? Or well, is this going to be another CD? And we're going to go back into a... Oh, it'll never be, it'll never be another, another CD. It's been around too long. And, you know, I mean, if you can go back... 70 years and play a record from 70 years ago or longer and it still plays just fine yeah. and it's it's exactly the same as it is now the, the technology translates well and the turntables are still around i mean it's it's not it's not going to become a cd yeah it's not I mean, the I, I, it doesn't have planned obsolescence like that you know yeah even as more and more listeners use streaming services for music consumption vinyl cells aren't in danger of slowing down anytime soon 
Record stores scaled back their CD sections in order to make space for records. Best Buy only has vinyl now when it comes to album purchases. And remember record clubs? They've made a comeback as well. Vinyl Me Please sends out exclusive records every month from artists across all genres and labels. Third Man has a vinyl club that sends out record packages every quarter, and many other record labels have similar programs. And it's easier now for independent musicians to get their music pressed up on glorious vinyl. Bandcamp will put out your record if you can get a couple hundred fans to pre-order it. Some will press up even just a single record. And if you want to cut your own albums at home, a portable machine called the Phono Cut does exactly that and is scheduled to hit the market at the end of 2020 for around $1,500. So if you ever dreamed of being your own record label executive, your chance may come very soon. Now, even though vinyl sales have surged at a ridiculous rate compared to previous years, it still only makes up roughly 4% of industry revenues. All physical sales of music combined only added up to 8%. It's probably not surprising to hear that streaming services made up 80% of those revenues last year. So vinyl is a small chunk of the industry in the broader scope, but it's one that contributes millions of dollars, and maybe most importantly, seems to strengthen the bond between artist and fan. Plus, it just sounds better, man. So what do you think, Ryan? Have we been caught up in the vinyl craze in this new generation? For me personally, I've sold almost all of my CDs. Uh, the only ones I have are those that are super rare or that you can't buy uh, on vinyl or even a lot of them aren't streaming. And the reason why I've gotten rid of all my CDs is because everything new I buy now is on vinyl. So I'm either streaming or I'm listening to it on a record. And that's funny. That's, I mean, that's exactly what we're doing as well. I mean, it's either being streamed from a digital device somewhere via Bluetooth to magical speakers floating without wires, or we're listening to vinyl. It's a funny extreme ends of the spectrum, you know what I mean? But that's, that's, that's how we're ingesting our music these days for sure. One is, is all about just pure convenience and just getting it there as quickly as possible but sacrificing, you know, the artwork and the packaging and all that. And then, of course, with vinyl, you've got the exact opposite of that, where it takes time to set it up and it's, it's more purposeful. And I remember whenever my son got his record player, the first thing we did is we stopped by one of our local record stores here in Nashville called The Great Escape, which is a fantastic place. And I got to spend time with him leafing through bins, just like we've all been doing for decades. He got all of these classic albums that I got into when I was younger and in high school, which my parents got into. And it, it's just so cool to, to have this, this thing, this, this format that we can pass down generationally. And I can guarantee you that my kids are going to take those same records and probably give them to to their kids as well. That's just something cool to look forward to. Thank you so much for all of you listening out there. Like we mentioned earlier in the episode, we have a vinyl coming out 
with the songs featured in season two of Reconnecting Roots, be sure to go to our website, reconnectingroots.com, and sign up on our email list so you can be the first to know when it comes out. We'd also like to thank our guests on this show for taking the time to speak with us. You can keep up with Jack Conti's band Pomplamoose on pomplamoose.com and on all major social media networks. You can watch Bathtubs Over Broadway, starring our guest Steve Young, and directed by Dave Wisenant on Netflix, Amazon, and iTunes. You can buy the vinyl edition of the soundtrack at mondoshop.com or wherever records are sold. You can learn more about Bill Skibby's work at thirdmanmastering.com or keep up with him at instagram.com slash thirdmanmastering. We'll include links to all those places in our show notes for easy access. You can watch the Reconnecting Roots TV series on your local public television station, on the PBS app, or stream it on our website. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. Thanks again. Until next time. Hello, fellow human beings. This is Mandy McCauley, your friendly neighborhood music supervisor, wanting to give you a preview of what is to come on the Reconnecting Roots Season 2 Vital. This is our version of Irving Berlin's Play a Simple Melody that we reimagined for today's hearts, minds, and ears with a side of love. Please enjoy. Play a simple melody Like the sirens at sea Hypnotize me with your harmony Play a simple melody
The Reconnecting Roots podcast is made possible by the following wonderful people. Our producer, Joel McAfee. Writer, researcher, and my co-host, Ryan Estabrooks. Research for this episode also provided by Larissa Goodlad and Joel McAfee. Consulting by Dave Boyd. Music supervisor and editor, Mandy McCauley. Score, George Polly and Paul Kinsing. Mixed by George Polly. And our executive producers, Frank and Karen Smith. And our amazing theme song, America the Beautiful Reimagined as We're Home by Fire Kid and Mandy McCauley. The Reconnecting Roots podcast is a Little Dragon and Story Scout Studios production.